Hello, and welcome to the Meaningfulistic Podcast. I am your host, Gabriel Gonzalez, and I am asking questions about what matters to who and why in the deepest, most personal sense. This is an exploration to find deep meaning at the intersection of the secular and the sacred, the artistic and the scientific. I'll interview ordinary people who find creative, unique, and profound ways to live a holistically healthy life. The meaningfulistic is the both and of the yin and yang of what it means to be. Today, I have the honor and privilege of having a wonderful conversation with someone who's been instrumental in my life, Deacon Matthew Rust. How you doing? Thank you for joining me, Deacon Matt. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here. My pleasure. Thank you, my brother. I wanted to get this conversation recorded. <laughs> you you share it with the um, parishioners, a little bit of it uh, at our church. It's something that is, I get to play a... Uh, a supporting role in right, the story, I right. guess. So I have, I'm a character in your story, right? And uh, it's a beautiful story, and and I also get the opportunity to share it with others when I get the chance. It all starts with you, and this pilgrimage that you took to Italy to see the Church of Saint Padre Pio, which is how do you pronounce the the church? It's San Giovanni Rotondo. Okay. Um, so it's down in the, it's the southeast coast of Italy, kind of over near the heel of the boot um, on the Adriatic Sea. Beautiful, beautiful area uh, bordered by the Umbrian Forest, which is a beautiful national park there in Italy. It's just, a, it's an amazing area of the country. So if you can make it over there, I highly recommend it. Yeah, it was one of my bucket list items to go over there. Okay. So what was your uh, initial relationship with Padre Pio before going? Why was, what was your reason for going? Yeah, um, I, I converted to the faith, was baptized and received into the church on April 19th, 1992. So this past year was my 30th, uh, my 30th birthday, as you will. Um, must have been in the late 1990s, I'm guessing, somewhere between uh, 97 to 99. I can't remember exactly when it was. Um, my wife and I owned our own business, and uh, we were struggling mightily in our business. And, um, I, and and I'll probably jump around a little bit, but, but I was, uh, because of the anxiety and the stress of, of the business, I was having trouble sleeping. And I was up late one night watching TV and I was just flipping through the channels trying to find something to, to pacify my mind. And I, I happened across PBS, uh, which is, you know, until Downton Abbey came about, I never watched PBS. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a documentary about this saint um, named Padre Pio, who I'd never heard of. Um, and... I was fascinated by it initially because he was a modern day saint. He was, you know, he was, he was born in the, in the early 20th century and, and died in 1968, I think. So there was actually video and photographs of this. And, you know, in my early uh, life as, as a Catholic, my connection to the saints and my knowledge of the saints were ancient saints. 
um, obviously the apostles and the church fathers, those first three or four century, those are the saints. You know, that's what I thought about when somebody mentioned the saints in the church. So I was very fascinated that, you know, here was a saint um, that while not quite a contemporary was surely alive while I was alive, having been born in 63. Um, but as it went on and on in this documentary, I was amazed because he had been blessed with the stigmata, the wounds of Christ, and suffered, blessed and was suffered through this for a long part of his life. Um, and there were videos and pictures of him with his hands wrapped and blood-soaked wraps on his hands. And I was just completely fascinated by this, having never heard about this. And I, at the time, I don't even think I'd ever heard of anyone being blessed with the stigmata. So it was very moving to me. During this time, my three children were all enrolled in uh, school at St. Elizabeth Ann Seton School. And I would take them to school in the mornings. And, and because I was so stressed out at work, after I dropped them off, um, St. Elizabeth at the time had um, perpetual exposition of the Blessed Sacrament. And so I would drop the children off at the school and come around the front of the church and I'd pop into the chapel for a couple of minutes each morning just to uh, try to get some peace as I started my day. After, I don't think it was the next day, but shortly thereafter, after having been up late seeing this documentary on Padre Pio, as I walked into the chapel, they had a little literature rack like most churches do, you know, outside the chapel or, or wherever. And I had walked by this thing, I don't know how many times. And all of a sudden it caught my eye and there was a, there was a little booklet and it had Padre Pio's picture on it. And it was, it was a little booklet that was um, a minute a day with Padre Pio. And it was these quick little reflections you do on each day. Um, just praying with and asking for Padre Pio's intercessions. And like I say, I'd walk by this rack, I don't know how many times. And to see that book there caught my attention. And it's like, I don't know if it registered as a God moment at the time, but certainly now looking back, I have no doubt that, you know, that was a God moment. And, and I think, I think actually looking back, I think that was the last copy of the little booklet. Um, oh, wow. So, that's where this started was, you know, these, these two incidents. Um, going on a little bit further, uh, somewhere down the line, uh, chronologically, we were sitting in church one Sunday morning, and I was not in a church mood, let's just say. Uh, sitting in the front row on the side chairs in our old building before our new, our new facility was built. And I, we always sat in the front row because that was that helped keep our children somewhat in line, you know, as best we could. And uh, I was sitting on the end of the row, uh, and right before church started, um, to my right shoulder, I saw a hand come around my shoulder, and a voice said, "Here, I think you need this." And I didn't even turn around to look. I just grabbed it because I was so distracted and not in the moment and church was about to start. And I just, I just grabbed it and, and turned back around to, to focus on the altar. Um, after a couple of moments, I looked down and it was a relic of St. Padre Pio. And I turned around to look to see who had given it to me and there wasn't 
anybody walking away. And so I didn't know who gave it to me. Um, and I, and uh, I was just all, you know, these three things have happened within the course of probably no more than two weeks, three max. And I was just overwhelmed. I, I, at the time I was started doing those daily reflections with Padre Pio, I was, Pio, I was asking him to pray for me. And he really just, he, be, I, I don't know if I would call him my patron, but he became someone that I prayed with almost every day. Um, so I wanted to ask, cause, cause I'm starting to hear close. So, so one, you're a convert, right? You're not used yeah. to relics. You're not used to. Oh no, no. Um, yeah. Um, stigmata. Right. So did you have a, when you saw that PBS special on his life and you, and you learned about his stigmata, did you have like a, a skepticism towards the, the, you know, believability of actual stigmata? Did you have a intellectual argument for that? Um, I, I don't think so. I don't, I don't remember that I did. I, I, I I was kind of, I was on both sides of the fence. I I believed in the miracles that miracles still happen today. Right. And on the other side of it, it was like, I felt like I was the type of person that a miracle was never going to happen to me. You know, Uh, this, you know, this, this edge of scrupulosity that I deal with is like, okay, I need to, I need to live a perfect enough life like Padre Pio to have a miracle happen to me, but that's mm. never going to happen. But I believed that it happened to other people. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, okay. I was, I was amazed. I was amazed at the more I read about him uh, at the spiritual struggles that he went through. And, and I believed, I didn't have a problem believing any of that. You know, I, I could embrace that. Um whether it was from an intellectual or spiritual level, that never seemed to give me any problems. Okay. Yeah. I do have a funny story about the stigmata, though. Uh, oh, a funny story about the stigmata? I know, because that, that, that's like an oxymoron. Um, <laughs> my, my oldest, I believe, was in seventh or eighth grade at the time at St. Elizabeth, and, and they, had a, they had a program where once a month – uh, in the theology class, a parent would come in and, and teach the class something about the faith. And uh, so I, I was, I volunteered to do it. I, I, I had a very, one of the reasons I think I was called to the diaconate is because I, I feel like um, young men need strong Catholic role models. And, and so that was one reason I volunteered to do this. And so I was, I was uh, talking to the class about saints and I mentioned Padre Pio and I said, you know, does, um, does anybody know anything about Padre Pio? And my, my son, who of course had heard me talking about him, raised his hand and said, yeah, he, um, he was blessed with astigmatism. <laughs> and it's like, well, he, he might've had bad eyesight, but, uh, he also had the wounds of Christ that I'll, I'll never forget that, you know, that he was, he was blessed with the miracle of astigmatism. It's like, okay, well, if, if that's a miracle, then yes, I have had miracles happen to me. So um, anyway, that's that's just a funny sidebar that I've I've always thought about. Yeah. So um, I was going to ask this: um, the relic incident. Did you have mm-hmm. you know goosebumps, uh, a little bit of hair on the back of your neck? Like what just happened? In- oh, I had tears. Oh, 
Yeah. No, I had tears. Um, okay. Because I knew, I think on some level, I knew at that point that God was here in my prayers. I may not have been getting um, a definitive answer and clear guidance on what I needed to do in my life to overcome these burdens that I was having and these struggles and the pain and everything that we were going through with our business. But I, I, I think I realized on a deep, deep level right then that God was here in my prayers. Yeah. Good. Yeah. It was, it was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. And then years later, um, gosh, quite a few years later, I was, uh, blessed to be on a, a retreat team at a, at a prison in a state jail. And I was giving a witness about community. And I was talking about how important community had been in my life and my, not only in my conversion, but in my spiritual growth and things like that. And I'm in my witness, I'm telling the story about this incident that happened. And a woman on the retreat team sitting in the front row interrupted me and said, that was me. I gave you that relic. And she was a friend of my wife's. I mean, I, I she had never mentioned it before at all. I'd been around her a hundred of times and I had no idea. And we both started crying right there in the middle of that, wow. in the middle of that witness. It, it was, um, it was, it was another little God, God moment. moment. And it, I mean, it, it, it was amazing for the prisoners, the retreatants to see that sense of community and what a sense of community makes in our lives. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. And that ties into the communion of saints, right? Part of this church community that, that, you know, yes, we as church militant here on earth, we're still part of the community of the entire church with the saints in heaven. And, uh, you know, that was a really, it was a really powerful moment. At least it was for me, put it that way. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it was cool. And, and when did you start getting the, the thought of, Going to see San Giovanni uh, San Giovanni Rotundo. Um, gosh, right away. I didn't think it would ever happen. Um, I, I thought it was going to be one of those, uh, you know, hopefully one day before I die, I'll get to go and I'll be wheeled up in my wheelchair type situations, you know. But um, I really, I started the more I would read about him and study about him and just little tidbits. When I would talk to people, they would, um, you know, I had friends at church that had been there and they gave me a big envelope full of articles and, and prayer cards and things that they had picked up while they were there. And so it was just, it just kept building and building and building. Um, about probably 10 or 12 years ago, um, in my business, I got to start traveling to Italy. And so each time I would go, uh, if my wife went with me, we'd always tack on a couple of extra days before or after and try to go, you know, go see something in Italy, right? And we never had the time to make it down to San Giovanni Rotundo because it's, it's it was, uh, my memory's right, it's about a seven or eight hour drive from Bologna, which is where we were always going. So it's not, you know, it wasn't really a day trip. You know, you, you can't take a train all the way there. You have to take a train and then a, then a bus and then a cab and then a mule, you know, or whatever <laughs> you can't, you know, there's not, there's not a direct route there. So, um, it was always on my list, uh, and it just kept building and building and building, um, to try to want to go there. 
Yeah. Okay. And what? When was I guess you got there? Um, was this a summer of eighteen? No. No, I think it was summer of nineteen. Actually, yes, it was later. Because you right. and I met in January of eighteen on an axe retreat. Right. So it was a year later. It was a year later. Yeah, it was right. It was right before COVID. Yeah, because my wife and I had had started our um, our role as mentor couples for the diaconate formation. So yeah, it would have been August of two thousand nineteen. Um, we were going over there for business, and um, we took like an extra five days. And uh, we had a car rented, and so we drove from the Bologna area down to uh, down to that area, San Giovanni Rotondo. I forget where we didn't stay there. We we stayed about forty five minutes away. But so yeah, but we, when I knew we were going, um, we put together two handwritten pages of prayer intentions. You were going through some issues at the time. Another good friend of ours was going through some issues at the time with his marriage. You, I, I think you've talked about it before. You were going through issues with your marriage. And so we, we told like people in, our, in, in the parish and, and we told people in our small group and diaconate formation that we were going, please send us your prayer intentions. And uh, as we were, we were, I think on the plane, we were writing, handwriting these prayer intentions. We had two pages of them. And uh, I, I didn't realize it until we got there. Uh, we were, so we were there like two or three weeks before his feast day. Um, so they were already, you know, decorating banners up and everything or, uh, around the, the church there. It's a huge, huge modern church that's been built now with the auditorium and all stuff, you know, it's an amazing complex, but I didn't realize until we, till we got there that, and talking to some of my Italian um, co-workers, uh, work associates, that it's one of the most visited shrines in all of Italy. Um, like he's, I think he's actually the most popular saint in Italy, which is kind of surprising um, with everything that they've got yeah. in Italy, you know, it's like, uh, you throw a rock and hit a shrine. Um, but, you know, so I, I found that very interesting. Um, so there were a lot of people there and we went through the church uh, and then, you know, we walked through some other areas and then we got into the tomb where he's buried, um, where his body is. And uh, I have a picture of my wife. I, I got yelled at by the police because uh, oh, wow. you're supposed to keep the line. You know, you go through the line. You like walk past it. You don't stop. You don't pause. You go past, you know. And uh, I had my wife in front of me and she had the she had the prayer intentions. And there's there's like a slot. You can put your prayer intentions in there. And I have a picture of her. I stopped and stood back and I have a picture of her putting the prayer intentions into the box. And the police are yelling at me, keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. It's like, ah, I'm getting a picture. But it's amazing to me that the two first, I, I think they're the two prayers that I, I wrote down, which were for you and for our other friend. Those right. prayers were answered um, in a different way for you, right? But straight up miracle answered prayer for our friend and really for both of you. And, and, I, and I think if I go back and look, there were some other prayers on there that have been answered in, in a way. Um, and it just... Um, it's a highlight of one of the highlights of my life, really, because I, I think if I'm really honest with myself, that 
his prayers probably saved my life. Not only spiritually, emotionally, but maybe physically too, because of the dark time that I was in at the time. Um, And I like that you said his prayers, because a lot of people get the misconception about Catholics that we worship saints. And, you know, regardless of how many times we can shout it from however many rooftops, (laughs) they're they're just going to keep saying that. But we say, um, we ask for their prayers, their intercessory prayers. They are in heaven, right. alive, just as much as your grandmother right. or you, you're, you, is, is watching over you. Right. Um, as saints in heaven, and they have, they are close to God, the Father. They're in heaven, and right. they're able to send their petitions for us on their behalf in heaven, and and that's what we pray for. We pray for um, those saints to pray for us and, and Mary also being close to her son in right. heaven, that that's why we pray for her intercession the most. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, I, I tell people it's no different. You know, if, if, if you have a good friend, whether they're Catholic or not, if they're Christian and you're going through something, what do you say to him? Hey, say a prayer for me. You know, hey, I've got a job interview tomorrow. Say a prayer for me. My mother's sick. Say a prayer for me. It's no different with the saints. You know, they're, they, like you say, they're in heaven, they're in the presence of God. Not that their prayers have more power than ours do, right? But because of their proximity to God, and we know that they're in heaven and they've lived a holy life, uh, otherwise they wouldn't be canonized saints, that we want them to pray for us. And so I, I, I look at it the same way as, you know, if I send out a text to you guys and say, hey, you know, something's going on. Can you say a quick prayer? It's the same way for us, you know, with the saints. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you feel if, if, how much you want to share about how you think his prayers helped you that people can get a better grasp of that concept of intercessory prayer? Yeah. Um, I, I was, I, like I say, I was in, um, a horrible, horrible place in my life with the amount of pressure in our business um, to the point that I was contemplating suicide. I was, I was, this is how, this is how distraught I was. And, and, you know, we, there, there's that old cliche that uh, God answers all prayers. Sometimes he says no, or some or he has something better for mm-hmm. you. I was praying for the strength to take mm-hmm. my own life. Oh. That's a twisted prayer, right? <laughs> Wow. Yes. I I was literally asking God to give me the strength to take my own life because I could not take the pressure of what I was going through anymore. And to me, that looked like the solution, which I'm sure so many people that commit suicide, those that are successful, those that attempt it, that's the mentality is that this looks like the solution. And of course, we know it never is. Yeah, how did Padre Pio come into this picture at this at this moment? In my moments of lucidity, um, in my prayer life, of just help me take this pain away, help me come to a solution, help me find peace. I would ask Padre Pio to pray with me, and I would ask him to pray for guidance for me. And I think in the distraughtness. And the pain of those prayers, um, 
it led my wife to pray for me. Not that she wasn't praying for me anyway, but in those really, really dark times, there were, there were days that I would come home from work. I may or may not acknowledge my family. And I would go in to my bedroom, into the closet, shut the door in the dark and just lay on the floor and just cry and ask God to give me the strength to take my own life. And there were many times outside the door that my wife was sitting and crying and praying for me. And so I think while he may not have interceded directly, I think he was interceding in such a way that gave her the strength to know what to do, to not argue with me, to not try to come up with a solution, but to just love me and pray for me. Um, and I, th- I honestly, I honestly believe it was her prayers and the prayers of Padre Pio that got me through everything that we went through. And, uh, got me to where I am today. Yeah. So you're there and we can see a before and after of where you were praying for PO's help going there. And then the turning of you coming back. Did you feel anything there immediately at the time? Um, I, I, I did. Uh, I remember being very emotional when I saw Allie put those uh, put those prayers intercessions in, in the box, and then when I walked past his his body, um, and you know, just the opportunity to say thank you because I knew he'd been praying for me, and just the opportunity to honor him and the struggles that he went through never losing faith in God, never, you know, he was, uh, uh, the church wouldn't allow him to say mass, uh, in public because his following was getting so big and they didn't believe that the stigmata was real, you know, his bishop, his bishop and some of the bishops in the Vatican. And, and he was, um, he was censored and not allowed to say public mass, not allowed to, to hear confessions. You know, he would spend, he would spend, 18 to 20 hours a day in the confessional. People would come from all over the world to hear his confession. Then he'd go to bed to try to sleep for four hours and he would have literal physical fights with demons. I I mean, he would come out out of his room the next morning with, with cuts and bruises and stuff. I mean, literal physical battles with demons. And he would go all of through all of this and through all of that, the constant bleeding and pain. He, he had the wound of Christ in his side. And so it was painful for him to wear clothes and to bend over and to say mass. But through all of that, he never once lost his faith. He never once lost his faith, not only in God, but in the church as a whole and in humanity. And just to say thank you for his prayers in my little insignificant suffering compared to what he was going through, right? And obviously the sufferings of Christ. Um, I think we kind of make that a cliche sometimes, you know. Um, 
because Christ sees our sufferings as as bad as his, no matter what they are. That's what I believe, right? Because he loves us so much. And so just to be there with Pio and just say thank you for praying for me, for thinking that I was worthy enough for your prayers. Um, that was that was a big moment. Yeah, that was a big moment. I'm glad you got that moment. Yeah. And I think there are a few times in our lives that we don't ever get that moment that you had. And if it's spiritual, it, it, it has more of an impact. Yeah. Like if you just said saying, saying thank you to someone who did something nice for you, you don't, there are some people who never have that experience. Right, right. And I think it's important for us, you know, if we believe in the communion of saints, um, to acknowledge their presence and their prayers, you know? Okay, so would it be safe to say at this point that you believe in having a patron saint, a personal patron saint? You know, that's an interesting question. Um, whenever I'm looking for at something, I'll try to give you an example. Uh, I, I was I was looking for something recently to do a, um, a spiritual reflection for a meeting. Okay, a, a, a moment of, of meditation for a meeting. And so I was looking for, you know, it's like, oh, let me see what the patron saint of X is. Right. You know, because there's a patron saint for everything, you know, which is kind of which is kind of interesting. Right. But I honestly don't. I do. So. So let me let me back. Yes, I believe in I believe in patron saints. Right. I think they're important. And I think that we've got such a rich history of saints and characters in our church that. If one is inclined to connect to someone as a saint, there are certainly multiple, multiple options for you, right? I honestly can say I don't necessarily just have one. I have a litany of saints that, that I ask to pray for me every single morning for different reasons. Um, but I, I guess if, you know, above and beyond Padre Pio, there are two that I connect to uh, very closely, and that would be um, St. Augustine and his mother, uh, St. Monica. Mm. Um, on a personal level, uh, St. Augustine, because uh, he's, he just amazes me the life he led prior to his becoming – ordained, you know, becoming a Catholic, becoming a Christian. And then of course, obviously his ordination to the priesthood and then, and then the bishop, uh, the episcopacy. But um, just knowing that God can be working in someone's life for so long without that person acknowledging it, you know, it's not like all of a sudden God said, okay, Augustine, now you're here, I can show you my presence and we'll make you a priest and then a bishop. That's not the way it worked, right? God was working in his life the entire time. Monica was a Christian and and, and he was baptized, but he never lived that life, right? Uh, or he, excuse me, he wasn't baptized. He ended up being, being baptized by uh, Ambrose. But, you know, he was exposed to the Christian faith. God was working in his life the whole time, little bits and pieces, you know? And I I just find that so fascinating and I can relate to that personally. I can point to an epiphany moment in my conversion, but I also know that a lot of God had to happen to get to that moment. 
You know, I know, I know God was very active, not necessarily just in my life, but in a lot of different lives to get me to that point so that I could have that epiphany. It's not like God just all of a sudden showed up. You know, my epiphany moment was walking into St. Peter's Cathedral in New York and, and being moved to tears by the beauty of that church and God's presence in that church. God was present in my life a long time before that. I just didn't recognize it, you know, and it was in other people and everything else, right? I love that story of Augustine and his, his journey through life and then his conversion. And, and you know, this, there's some great quotes attributed to him. You know, one of my favorite is, you know, Lord, make me holy, but not yet. Um, you know, cause he was really enjoying his life. I, you know, I've had times like that in my life, you know, and, and I, frankly, I still struggle with that. You know me well enough to know that, you know, and I think what I liked about him, I think what, what I think about you is he was an intellectual and he was argumentative. So he was going initially as a philosopher, right? Yeah, a rhetorician. Yes. And he yeah. was trying to come up with like a, a argument, uh, you know, just basically refute it. Right. And then, like you said, Ambrose comes in and basically schools him. Yeah. And then yeah. he becomes the, you know, patron saints of, of, of a lot of uh Christians and a lot right. of uh, churches, actually, right. even non-Catholic churches, uh, you know, put Augustine sure. you know, as, as one of their um, go-to. Uh, uh, anyways, yeah, yeah, and 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 how did how did he end up with Ambrose through Mar- through Monica's intercession? You know, she went she went to Ambrose and was like, you know, you you got to help me with my son. He's like, I can't help you with your son. God's got to do it, right? And then who ended up baptizing him? But Ambrose, right? So so yeah, so you know, there's there's this mother figure intervening, just like we have with Mary, right? Um, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow we celebrate Mary, mother of God. And, and there's this intercession, right? Of Monica. It's like, help me. You know, it's like, Ambrose like, Oh, I can't help you. Only God can help you with this, you know? So, yeah. So, so that, and, and so going one step further, that, that's why I have a connection with Monica as well. Um, for my kids, right. Um, you know, I love my children and, and they're living great lives and, and, uh, I want them to know, the beauty and the depth of the faith, the way I feel it, um, not only for uh, now, but for eternity, right? I'm trying to word this right. So if they listen to it, I don't make them angry like I do occasionally. Um, but just, you know, because I love them so much and, and, I, and I want them to, to um, and I know they know they're loved and I, and I know, I think on different levels, they know God loves them in their own way. But I want them to know uh, the love and the mercy of God and the beauty, the way I feel it. Yeah. So yeah. So those those are two. You know, those are two that uh, uh, are right at the top of the list. And I have others that come and go. You know, I've I've added Saint Joseph to my litany. Uh, recently added Saint Benedict uh, because he's he's the patron saint of those with rheumatoid arthritis, which my wife uh, suffers from. You know, so so bits and they kind of come and go. You know, kind of like friends do in your life. Friends come and go in your life, and and I, I feel like for me that's kind of way some of the saints come and go in my life. Um, and I think that's the beauty of it is is that uh, uh, much much like God's presence in our life when we hit different areas in our life and different uh, different chapters that. Uh, you know, there's there's a saint there that can pray with you and, and walk with you uh, on your journey. 
no matter where that journey takes you. Yes. Thank you for saying that. I love that idea because I think when I hear of patron saint, it's kind of like, you know, when we get our, our uh, baptism or um, confirmation, you get this name, right? You get like a stamp, you right. know, this is your, pa- you know, your saint, right? But then I, I was thinking that it was, you know, that's your saint that you got to pray to for the rest of your life right. for help. And, 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 you know, it's kind of like a, a like, you know, you have like some sort of fealty to this one saint, but I like your, your uh, perspective of having more like that person that you can go to like a friend mm-hmm. and that phase of your life. And just like personal friends, there's pers- people that will come into your life for a season and yeah. they will be there to give you what you need to know. Like you said, all part of God's plan to be there for you. And then if, if they phase themselves out, it's okay because, uh, you know, there's someone else coming into your life for yeah. that phase, that, that new season. And, and, and also, like you, I think it's an evolution of, of growing towards, you know, a progression towards something. So, sure. you know, you might not have the capacity for, you know, uh, uh, this guy right now or this, this, uh, this saint right now to, to be your uh, mentor or influencer, mm-hmm. right? A better influencer than than modern uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, TikTok. The original but, influencers, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but these people have these attributes because of what they went through in their lives. Like you said, Monica's praying for her son, um, converts him, and also her husband. Yeah, her husband that's right. was a pagan. On, his, on his deathbed. I forgot about that. Right? Yeah. 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 So so um, she's praying for them and and being a good wife, a good mother, and her witness as a Christian. It influences them. And, you know, we can't say it's all her, you know, there is God, you know, the Holy Spirit working through them, but at least, you know, you, you the, the God's working through people, through the communion of saints, right. Uh, uh, to help us on our journey, our personal journey of faith. Yeah. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah, absolutely. Who's your, who's your patron? For, who's your communion saint? Uh, when I was a kid, it was, you know, Gabriel, because that's my name. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. And I thought it was an easy out, right? I didn't have to do any homework. <laughs> but uh, then when I got uh, when I got older, the first one that really struck me um, that I read about was uh, uh, St. Anthony of Egypt. So mm. I was learning about- um, One of the desert fathers, right? The Yeah, the, the monastery desert mm-hmm. father, St. Anthony mm-hmm. of Egypt. And yeah. it's kind of like what you're saying about um, Padre Pio that he was having the demonic attacks. Mm-hmm. What I loved about him was, yeah, the fir- he was like the first guy to go out and say, basically, I know God can be found anywhere and I need to start with myself. And so I'm going to go to this mountain and uh, uh, let you know when I get back. And so, he, yeah, he <laughs> goes out there and, you know, I have, I'm super introverted. I need my time alone. You know, ever since I was a kid, I'd be hiding in a tree or on the roof of my house when I'm my childhood home in a tree house yeah. somewhere. You know, I liked isolation. So the idea of going uh-huh. into a cave by yourself just seemed like a, a cool thing for me. And then I learned right. like, you know, a crow would come and bring him a piece of bread. It would feed him. Um, he was attacked and he had visions, right? One of the visions that uh, Athanasius wrote was that he would appear as like a big wolf. And, and if I were to see a huge wolf on the outside of a cave, I'd freak out. But he basically <laughs> right. laughs at it and he laughs at it and says, I see how weak you are. You think you have to be big and scary to scare me. That's how weak you are. 
and I just love this his 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 uh, personality, and and so yeah, for me, not many people know about him, but Saint uh, Anthony the Great, and it was written by uh, Athanasius, and then the other one mm-hmm. would probably be Saint John Vianney. Mm, when, okay. when I read yeah. about him, because he's not a smart guy, kind of like again, right? He he wasn't appreciated by the intelligentsia of the uh, French uh, the clerics and. One of the things about him, like you said, all night confessions, um, people going to him in lines just to hear his confessions. His homilies were horrible because mm-hmm. he didn't have good, um, what was it, uh, hermeneutics. And, yeah, hermeneutics. And yep, yep. he couldn't uh, barely even remember the words to say at mass. Right. But he had the piety of his life. And so the people in the area started up a petition saying, you need to, you need to, uh, uh, you know, defrock him. He's not doing any good. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And somehow this letter got to him and he signed it. (laughs) That's humility. Yes. And I think that that was amazing. Um, So that those two guys, and then also St. Joseph, I'm starting to learn also as a father um, because he, he learned how to, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, to me, I'm like, he's the, uh, the good dad that knows when to keep his mouth shut and (laughs) take care of his wife and kid and, and, and like you said, the, he's silent throughout the whole Bible, but yeah. he must have done something right. The silent saint. Yes. So that's why I yeah. need to learn keep my mouth shut. That's awesome. Yeah. That's that's a good rule. Healthy marriage. I, uh, you know, talking about you, you chose Gabriel uh, because that's your name. Um, the week before I was baptized, we, you know, we, I forget. We got introduced to the parish. I, I, this was at St. Cecilia's over by uh, Memorial City. And I remember going up and uh, I don't know if I hadn't been paying attention that night at class or whatever, but I didn't know we were supposed to choose a saint's name. Um, oh, wow. And so the priest, <laughs> yeah, the priest asked me, like, what saint's name did you choose? And I was like, I was like, uh, I just, I just said Matthew. Cause that's my name. He's like, yes. Oh yeah. Say Matthew, Matthew, that makes total sense. <laughs> and he's like, why'd you choose it? And I said, uh, cause he was a tax collector and dropped everything to follow Jesus. I don't know. It's like, you know, it's like, so it never, you know, that I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that, uh, connection with a saint at my confirmation, you know, but, uh, Nice. Certainly I do now, you know, not to Matthew, but, uh, yeah, certainly I do now. So you, you mentioned that you offer up prayers for, the, um, for the help of St. Monica. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted to share with you this, the concept of feminine or, or female saints. So I was reading, um, or I was, you know, listening because St. Teresa of Avila's, uh, interior castle is kind of deep stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I and at first I, I started reading it. And I said, okay, this isn't sinking in. So I switched to audio. And then when I started hearing it, I started to get her personality. It isn't linear thought. Um, I know there's been like a lot of study guides for it. it. It's a diary of sorts, but it's also kind of a manifesto of how to of what she believes and what she's seen in this mystical level of understanding about heaven. And what I got from her immediately was that, that overwhelming sense of humility and desire for purity and never wanting, always, always going back to whatever the Lord wants. And she says, His Majesty, um, whatever our Majesty asks, 
And she says, and I do not want to presume too much because that would be out of my place. And mm -hmm. I and I see so much virtue in that submissiveness that you would normally um, associate with women, female uh, traits. And then it hit me, um, why can't a man, or is it okay for a man to have a female patron saint if I need help in being more nurturing, in being more gentle, in being more soft or empathetic? Um, and these are all things that I need. Why can't or should I ask to have an intercessory prayer from a female saint? And I had never heard of that before. So I thought I'd, I'd try to stump the deacon. No, that You know that's not that hard to do. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think that's a really good question. And, and I think probably when we think about traditionally who's choosing a saint's name, right? It's high school kids that are about to be confirmed, right? Uh, and you're, my guess is nine times out of 10, you're going to have a guy pick a guy's name and, and a, a woman pick a woman's name because the guys are not going to gravitate towards that, right? But I, you touched on a word um, that, I, that I think, if you think about the women in your life now, um, is empathy, okay? I think women as a whole are more empathetic generally than men to begin with. But when it comes to spirituality, in my experience, some of the most spiritual people that seem to be closest to God are the women that I know. I don't know why that is. I think it's because they tend to be more empathetic than men do. I, I think society has created in us men uh, this idea that to be strong and to be successful, we can't be empathetic and we can't have feelings and all this, right? We've heard it's a secular, you know, toxic masculinity, right, that's going around that which you know, I, I don't think we have time on this podcast to talk about, and I'm not qualified to talk about it. But I think, well, first off, we we can see attributes of holiness in all the saints, and I think that's what we need to look for to to begin with, right? Male or female, because not all the saints lived just like holy, perfect lives before they had this conversion and became these holy, devout people that led them closer to God, whereby they could be canonized and declared as saints. Right. A lot of them had really difficult, horrible lives. Um, and that's not, you know, that's not exclusive to male or female. And so um, I think if we look at, at the lives of the saints and how they relate to our lives, knowing they were fully human and they dealt with stuff just like we deal with them, disregard whether they're male or female and who's someone that I can connect to, okay? Who's someone that I can see in them? Just, you know, let's go back to Monica and Augustine. I can see myself in both of them, Right different attributes of them in my life. And so that's how I relate to both of them. I think we could all, male or female, learn to be more empathetic. I think that would help our society as a whole, right? If we were more empathetic to those around us. But there's another point, and, and we talked a little bit about this when we were when we were prepping before we started recording, is this idea of the bride of Christ. Yeah. The church as bride of Christ, right? 
and we we know the scripture you know the, the, we're all parts of the body and we have different different tasks to do as parts of the body but we make up this one body and the body is the body of Christ when paul talks about women be submissive to your husbands we tend to focus on that you know women be submissive to your husbands and husbands love your love your wives the way Christ loves the church well we get caught up on that first part right women be submissive to your husbands i don't want a submissive wife i want a strong wife that's my equal and my partner right but If I'm living a holy spiritual life and I'm the spiritual leader of my family, my wife will organically become submissive because she will see in me someone who's willing to sacrifice like Christ sacrificed for the church. All right. So that's that's the groundwork for that. But as we're part of the body of Christ, we as the body of Christ are the bride of Christ. And so we as a whole take on these feminine, wifely attributes that make us submissive to Christ. And those attributes that we see in the feminine nature are all attributes that we can grasp onto in our relationship, especially with Christ. And as that relationship grows, it enhances our earthly relationships as well. And so I think to see those attributes in a female saint as something they w- that we want for ourselves, I think is healthy. And I think it's something that we should be more open to, right? Because I think it'll draw, I think it'll help draw us closer to God and help us on that journey. Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And I want to be more of that sort of uh, vocalization of that mentality of that concept that why do we not as men feel comfortable with being able to hear a a woman's perspective and say that that perspective has a lot more merit than we think because we're a man. Right. And it's just, it's just the same thing as as going to an elder. That elder is going to drop some knowledge on you that you weren't ready for, that you didn't see coming because it's outside of your field. And so I, I look at, and I'm starting to notice this more about reading books from female authors and seeing their perspective and hearing their voice and, and letting it soak in and it's enriching me. And I would love to spread that message more often of listen to these strong, powerful women and think about what they have to say, because when you are, like you said, the bride of Christ, <laughs> you can't shy away from those feminine attributes of, of nurturing, uh, even if it's submissive, fine. We need to submit ourselves, right? Sure. But there's also that empathy. And I've said it before, it's like, there's these men that would, would, would take on this masculine role and basically say, I'll do anything for my wife. You know, I'll take a bullet for her. You know, but I'm not going to wash the dishes. You know? <laughs> right, right. And right. you just pinpointed your own personal weakness because you yeah. don't have that level of sacrifice right. to yourself for others. And that's yeah. your weakness. And to me, I see that as a weakness. And if I'm a man, I don't want weakness. I want, as you're, like you're saying, a completeness, a wholeness. So I can right. be in better relationship to God, but also I'm doing more good for other people because I am like on level 10 on all aspects of all positive right. godly characteristics, you know, and all yeah. the, um, 
just being able to display all the fruits of the spirit. Right. Right. Agreed. No. And, and I, you know, I, I, I think that's a, that's kind of a metaphor for where we are in our society right now. Right. You, you know, you made the comments like you want to read women authors to get this female perspective on an issue. That's fantastic. Right. If we would do more of that in our society, you know, I, I make a habit of, of uh, on Twitter following people I disagree with. Um, mm. Not a lot, but a few, because I want to hear their perspective. Right. I, I want to know why they're coming from where they're coming. And so I, I think the same goes for the saints. Yeah, Jesus chose 12 men to be his apostles, and, and that's part of the basis for, for why we have an all-male priesthood. But I think if you look at the church, you know, who is the first to see the risen Christ? It was a woman, right? And, you know, we, we've talked about that. In the time of the, the Gospels were written, even, you know, those written first, second century, you still didn't have women as reliable witnesses. So why, why are we going out telling that Christ is risen from the dead from the viewpoint of a woman? And I, I think that goes to the, um, to the beauty of our church is how important women have been in the history of our faith in spreading the faith. And not only spreading the faith, but keeping our faith in check, right? Keeping, keeping some priests and bishops and popes back in line, right? And really developing a depth and a richness in our faith because of that female perspective. And so, I, you know, I, I agree with you. I think we need to be encouraging that more and more, just how many wonderful women saints there are and how much we can learn from them. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, I had that idea and I thought it was good. And, and I'm glad that you're kind of reaffirming that. Um, yeah. there's, nothing, there's nothing to say a man can't uh, ask for help from his mother, his holy mother. Sure. Should be. And also all his holy sisters in heaven. Yeah. Like St. Monica. Um, my wife has a special devotion to St. Brigid of Kildare. Oh. Yeah, nice and, Irish uh, saint, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, other than Saint Teresa, I need to kind of get more fluent with uh, female saints uh, and and see how they can enrich my spiritual life. Yeah, well, you know, like like uh, we're we're blessed in our altar to have the saints of uh, relics of Saint Maria Goretti. You know, another great example is a twelve or thirteen year old girl to forgive her uh, murderer, and then her mother who ended up actually adopting her murderer uh, later in life when he got out of prison, you know, in, in a true form of forgiveness. You know, those are, there, there's a lot of great examples of strong, you used that term earlier, strong women. And, and I think that's something that, that we need to embrace, right? When you look at it from a male perspective, you can take on these feminine attributes and not lose your masculinity and, not, and still be strong, still be a strong person. Right. And, and I think that's key because those attributes are going to bring us closer to God. And that's where our true strength comes from is the grace of God. Amen. Good stuff. Thank you. Deacon Matt. No. Thank you for sharing your story about, uh, well, I guess I should say thank you for your prayers and tell Miss Allie, thank you for having our names on that list and putting it in Damn. the uh, special prayer with Padre Pio. So I think you, you weren't quite sure about what was going on in my life at that time. So this was already, this was me being, I was already divorced and uh, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I was struggling with losing my house, losing the, losing privileges of having my daughters around me. 
And so I leaned on you a lot before it happened. I leaned on you after it happened. And, and I think your prayers is what brought me, Miss Kendall, my wife, and now Kieran, my son, in my life. And uh, I, I owe you special thanks. So I say special thanks for Deacon Matt and also special thank you to Padre Pio in heaven. Well, thank you. I, um, I'm not sure how much I had to do with it other than just praying for you. And, and uh, I value our friendship. I, I remember that the first time we talked at that Axe retreat, I treasure our friendship. I'm proud of you. I, I'm so amazed at all the ministry you're doing and, and the father you are and the husband you are. And it's, uh, it's just a true honor to count you as friend. And I think that's the beauty of our faith is being able to pray with and for each other. And so I know, I know my prayers are, uh, when I need prayers, I can always uh, hit you up for prayers and I know you'll jump right on it. And I, I appreciate that. But uh that was a that was a special time, and I and you know when I look at you and the other person that we were talking about, and I see where you are both in your lives, um, it, it's just it's truly heartwarming to see tangible miracles because uh, that's what they are. That's what they are. Knowing where both of you were at the time and where you are now, truly, truly miracles. Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that God has taken care of me every step of my life, as much as yeah. as much as I try to ignore it. I know, and and, <laughs> right. and and where I am now is once you accept that, you're like, you know what? He he brought me to this place, and he will always be there for me in the future. Mm-hmm. And it's it's kind of it's very reassuring. It's very calming effect to know you know your before and after is, is even more dramatic. You yeah. Know? So absolutely. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. How about I, I call on your uh, deacon duties, and we can end this in a prayer. Oh, yeah, I'd love to. In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Creator God, as we, as we start a new year, we thank you for all the blessings in our life. We thank you for getting us through this year, and, and we look with hope for this new year that you'll make yourself known more in our lives, but especially in the lives of those around us, our family, our friends, who maybe don't have that hope. They don't feel that presence in their hearts and that you'll just make yourself known to them so that they can feel the love and joy that that we're blessed with. Father, thank you for Gabe. I ask you to just bless his ministry to keep this podcast going and let it spread like wildfire so that more and more people can hear about the miracles that you bring about in people's lives still today. Father, we humbly ask all of these things in the name of your Son, Jesus, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Bless you, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome, man. Love you. Thank Love you. you. Appreciate it. All right. God bless. See you later. Bye.